team there. Thank you so much, ladies, for that song. What a blessing. He loves me like I was his only child. What a great thought. Luke chapter 15. That's where we'll be at today. Today we celebrate Father, that highest calling in the world. To God Himself, we cannot give a more appropriate name than Father. Fathers are those that are forced to endure childbirth without anesthetic. It's terribly unfair. I've thought so many times over. Fathers are those who never feel entirely worthy of worship that they see in their children's eyes. He's never quite the hero that his daughter thinks he is. He's never quite the man that his son believes him to be, and this worries him sometimes. Fathers are those men that give their daughters away to men who are not nearly good enough so that they can have grandchildren who are smarter than anybody's. A little boy was explaining to his friend what Father's Day was, and this is how I explained it. Father's Day, he said, is just like Mother's Day, only you spend a lot less money. And uh, he may not realize that, but that's actually true. Did you know that Americans spend four, uh, seven, I'm sorry, $7.4 billion less for Father's Day than they do on Mother's Day? 64% will get dad a card today, while 81% make sure mom gets a card for Mother's Day. We don't see the same focus, and I don't sh- know for sure why that would be. Maybe it's because fathers seem to do their work maybe in the background a little more. Fathers are different than mothers. They think a little different. One night, a wife found her husband standing over their newborn baby's crib. And so she was silently watching him, and as he stood down looking at the sleeping infant, she saw on his face a mixture of emotions. Disbelief, doubt, delight, amazement, enchantment. He would stand back and shake his head and just say, amazing. And then he would step back up to where the baby was. Touched by this display and his deep emotion, she slipped her arms around him and said into his ear, a penny for your thoughts. And he said, isn't it amazing how anyone could make a crib like this for just (laughs) $49.95? Now, although men think differently, and does not mean they don't care, amen? There's just a little difference in the way they think. They experience things just as deeply. As sandwiches go, it was perfection. A thick slab of ham, cheese, crisp lettuce, gourmet mustard. His, uh, the corners of his jaw were just aching in anticipation. He carried it out to the picnic table in the backyard, picked it up with both hands and was just about to dive in when he was stopped by his wife where she said, here, hold Johnny, their six-week-old son, while I get my sandwich, she said. He balanced this child between his left elbow and his shoulder and then he reached again for his ham sandwich. Then he noticed a glob of mustard on his fingers. He loved mustard. He didn't have a napkin, so he licked it off. It was not mustard. No man ever dropped a baby faster. 
Have you ever seen a grown man sprinting with his tongue protruding out of his mouth as he runs into the house and with a washcloth essentially does the routine that shoe shiners do, only doing it on his tongue, trying to clean him off? And he was thinking, now you know why they call it Grey Poupon. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, that's, that's bad. We're in church. I shouldn't say that. I'm sorry, Lord, be with our missionaries. Okay, but every, every dad, at some point, every dad has an experience like that. We could probably share stories somewhere along that line. But, but fathers are vitally important in the home. There's a well-known feminist who said, fathers are a biological necessity, but a psychological absurdity. That, in God's eyes, that statement is ridiculous. That statement is an absurdity. Dads have a vital role in bringing strength and stability into the home. Moms and dads working together bring into that home what is crucial to the spiritual and emotional stability. Together they bring a blend of characteristics that in many ways reveal the very image of God. Children uh, with involved fathers are more confident. They're able to deal with the frustrations of life and they gain more independence at a younger age. They're more sociable. They're more secure as infants. They're less likely to show signs of depression. Fathers are supposed to be the leaders uh, the head of the family. The sad reality is that many men have renounced this throne and either handed it over to their wives or just ran away from that duty. But God's intent was for the father to be an integral part of the family unit. Without the father, the unit breaks down. Ninety percent of homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. Ninety percent. Seventy-one percent of pregnant teenagers lack a father. 63% of youth suicides come from fatherless homes. 85% of youths in prison grew up in a fatherless home. Are you starting to get the picture, Dad? You are important. You're a big part of the success of your family. Now, in our culture today, there is a war on for the very survival of the family unit. And there is a war on what we call the nuclear family with all kinds of different propaganda out there. But I'm going to tell you today, at stake are our children and their future, and Dad, you are the glue that holds the family together. Make sure you take part in your responsibility. I want to read a text today, if we can, in Luke chapter 15, and starting at verse number 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me, and he divided unto them his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. When he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he rose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called 
thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us be eat and drink and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive. He is lost and is found. And they began to be merry. I want to preach today for a few minutes on the prodigal father. The prodigal father. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. And each and every dad that's in here today, we thank you for him uh, being faithful to your house today. Uh, we pray that they would be faithful in raising their families and the next generation for you. We're grateful for our fathers. And we pray today as we look at the ultimate father that we would draw a picture of what we should be. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. This story is probably very familiar to most of you. It's one of the greatest stories in the New Testament that illustrate the love of our Father in heaven. But I want to look at the specific term, term today, uh, the term prodigal. It's not something that we use a lot unless we're really referring to a story like this. The story is called the story of the prodigal son. Prodigal, the word means, having or giving something on a lavish scale. Now the thesaurus lists these synonyms. Excessive, extravagant, spendthrift. Now, it's true that the prodigal son, uh, that the word prodigal there with that definition, would uh, describe the behavior of the younger son and how he wasted his inheritance. But it can also apply to the father, who was lavish in his forgiveness. And so this morning I ask you, who is the real prodigal in this story? And as we work through it, I think that we might look at it a little bit differently Traditionally, we've assigned the term to the son. That's because we're, we're kind of me-centered as we read stories and we can relate to the actions of the son because maybe that's how we would have acted. Maybe it is how we did act at one point in our life. But the story paints another picture. It shows us that the real spendthrift in this story is God who gives us all that He has. He spends everything and He does it for us. Let's look at the story. A man had two sons who were very different in their character. He had an older son who was, he was the kind of guy who was good. Most older sons are good. Amen? Can I have an amen on that? In fact, the oldest sons are usually the best. And uh, so this older son was obedient. He did what dad said. He, was, he didn't have the best attitude, but he did always do what he was supposed to do. Then they had another son, and the younger son was a dreamer. He was the kind of guy that was constantly looking at the faraway horizons. He was always thinking about what he did not have. And uh, the lure of faraway places took a hold of his soul. Uh, the, he was fed up with the rules, the religion, and the righteousness of his father. In fact, he felt constricted and trapped in, the, in, this, in all that was expected of him as he lived on the farm and worked there. He longed to get away from it all. So one day he came to his father and he came with a very heartless uh, request. It really more like a demand. He says essentially, well he said I want my inheritance. In fact the Bible says, starts out with the words give me. Boy does that not describe our generation today, doesn't it? Give me. And that's what he said then. Give me what's coming to me. I want my inheritance and I want it now. Now this came uh, to a person after the father died. So what he's essentially saying to him is, hey dad, Let's pretend you're dead so I can get my inheritance and I can get it right now. The father, perhaps after many conversations to try to talk him out of it, finally acquiesced. No amount of pleading and reasoning was going to do any good. This young man was going to find out the hard way 
uh, what he had to deal with in a cold and cruel world. In Jewish culture, this was a radical rejection of the Father. In essence, I can't wait for you to die. I want what's coming to me right now. It was cruel. It was ungrateful. Even though legally he could make such a request. But sin is more than just breaking rules and breaking laws. Sin is breaking a relationship. And the son does not break the rules as much as he breaks his father's heart in this story. There's something more here. I want you to notice two words in verse number 12, if you've got your Bible open. When the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods. The word, first word there is goods. Osea is the original word. It's used to talk about one's very substance or being. And then, and that falleth to me, and he divided unto them his living. That's the second word I want you to see. Bias. That is, really just literally means life. The youngest son is not just asking his father for his stuff. This youngest son is telling him, I want you to tear yourself in two, and I'll take half of that. If you've ever had a prodigal, you know exactly what this is talking about. It is a, parent, uh, a parent's pain whose child essentially says, I wish you were dead so I could live my life my way. Yet that's precisely, friend, what we've done and the world has done to God. We've rejected Him. We've said, let us alone. We'll be our own Lord. I want to live life we, the way we want to. We want to be lords of our lives. The son wanted to live his life on his own terms, thinking that self-indulgence is going to make him happy. And so, the father lets him go. The father knows that love only really possesses what it releases. And he loved his father enough, or loved his son too much to restrain him. You and I, though, can feel the gut-wrenching pain as he watches him depart, as he walks away or drives away or rides away from everything he's known into what the father knows will be total disaster. Not, not many days, verse 13, after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey and to a far country. The expression took his journey implies that he went abroad. He wanted to see the great, wide, wonderful world far from the restrictions of his narrow-minded father. If he had headed north to Caesarea, 65 miles, and it could have taken a ship to Myra on the coast of the Roman province of Lycia, another giant step of 900 miles, or he could have journeyed to Rome sampling all the wickedness of the world on his way there. Maybe he went to Egypt or to Carthage or to Tarshish. These would have been far countries indeed. But when it talks about the far country in this verse, it's not talking about the far country so much in terms of miles. It's talking about the far country in terms of morals. He was far from what he was taught to be, doing what he was raised not to do. The Bible says he wasted his substance with riotous living. He abandoned himself to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. We see a young man throwing away his money, uh, living in depravity, surrounded by loose living companions, women wine and song. Hey, fellas, the drinks are on me, is what he would constantly be saying every day of his life. Life was a party, drinking, gambling, girls. This was the life. Then one day, the Bible says he reached in his money bag and is empty. Flips it around, turns it inside out. He didn't have anything left. He's completely broke. He's so broke he can't afford to fill up his bicycle, like many of you. Oh, this was indeed tragic, and it 
always is to be broke like that, but no matter. He had friends. He had lots of friends. And so he takes out his iPhone, it's in the original language, and he starts to scroll through his contacts. And one after the other, he starts to contact all his friends and, and he says, hey, and uh, it's me. And, and he starts to talk to them. And as soon as they realize or get to the point where he's out of money, he has nothing, he needs help, all of a sudden they have something else to do. Something somewhere else to be. When your money is gone, so are your fair weather friends. And God stepped in, probably in answer to a father's prayers, because, hey, friend, that's what a good father does. He prays for his children. And uh, we see in verse 14, when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. This is God at work. The far country is a place where your funds run out, your friends take off, and the famine moves in. What will he do now? Verse 15 tells us he went and joined himself to a citizen of the, that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. Oh, this was terrible. Working around hogs was an unclean business for a Jew. This would be shameful and it would be terrible for him to end up in that place. But the shame wasn't the worst of it. The boy was starving. He had nothing to eat or to sustain himself. In fact, his hunger got so bad that the Bible says that he was tempted to reach down into the slop of the hogs and pick out rotting vegetables or something that the hogs were eating and eat that himself to sustain him. Maybe that's when he started to think, what in the world have I come to in my life? Sometimes prodigals need to get to rock bottom before they can start to see where they really are at and what they need. Everything he wanted in life was back at dad's house. And he had so callously left it. And he left it all for this. All this time he's been thinking about his father's house. And he sa it says in verse 17, And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger. I love that phrase, when he came to himself. This literally means when he came to his senses. Because sin, my friend, is irrational. It is a form of temporary spiritual insanity. Because you're turning away from that which is good to that which is bad. You're turning away from that which is worth everything to that which is worth nothing. You're turning away from that which is, has eternal value to that which has no value. You're turning away from living water to drink out of a sewer. And that's just insane. It's insanity. That's what sin is. And so he finally came to himself. Uh, he came to his senses. And it wasn't long after he did that that he decided to go to his father because that's what you do if you have any sense. Amen? You go to your father. He would make a full confession. He rehearsed it. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against thee. I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And uh, he would... I want you, Before we go into that, I want you to notice two words where he says here, make me. You remember when he left home, what he said? Give me. He's changed now, hasn't he? Now he's humbled himself. Oh, now he, uh, the world has done... By the way, sin does that. Sin takes you from great heights and reduces you to pure rubble. I can picture him in the hog pen as he realizes the terrible state he's come to. And he picks up his slop pail. And he goes into the... Farmer, having made up his mind, I'm going back home and knocks on the door. Here's your pail back, mister. 
I'm going home. I can picture the farmer sneering at him. Yeah, you go home to your Jew father. See how he'll like the smell of hogs all over you. He'll slam the door in your face. Mister, you don't know my father. He decided to go home. Off he went, heading for home with a heavy heart, but a hope burning in his soul. It, it is the hope of every father that the, his investment in his children will bring them home again. We don't know how long the trip was, but I can imagine the beating of his heart as he got close to his house. A thousand times he is repeating this mantra, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against Thee. I'm no longer worthy to be called Thy Son. Make me as one of Your hired servants. Then he would have internal arguments. What's Dad going to do when I get home? He's going to say this. He might throw me off the place. He might have nothing to do with me. And he had every right to do so. And so he would go again, Father, I've sinned against heaven I'm no, and against Thee and I'm no longer worthy to be called Your Son. Make me as one of Your hired servants. He would say this over and over at last, he topped the hill where he could see his old homestead and the home there that was his father's house. I don't know, the Bible is not clear on the details, what was running through his mind at that time, but I have to think if he's like many of us, having been where he's been, he probably dropped to his knees and just wept for who knows how long, seeing home after so long. And finally, he musters up enough courage. By the way, it's an awful thing as uh, to face the shame of your own failure. It's an awful thing after all your big words and all your boasts of what you're going to do to come home with your tail tucked between your legs when everything your dad said would happen, happened. This took a lot of courage for him to come back. Now he had to eat those words. He probably had it all worked out in his mind. Uh, he, would, uh, he probably had it, uh, the speech dad would give him where he would get, uh, you know, the I told you so speech. I told you this was going to happen. You didn't believe me. He could see the sneer and the contempt in his father's face, in his mind's eye, as he knows the dressing down he's going to have to take when he gets there. And he's going to, uh, the, the disappointment and the scorn that would be in his father's eyes every time he met his gaze. Finally, he mustered enough courage to start to walk to the house. He could see the milling of people around now as he draws closer. But what was this? Someone was running toward him. Oh, he was afraid of this. I mean, they always thought he might be run off the place. That would be the proper thing to do. He had hoped the first person that he would see would be his father, but this certainly wasn't him because in the East, old men don't run. It's undignified. But as the man got closer, it was his father. Was he there to chase him off as soon as he was close enough to be heard. The son started in his mantra, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against thee. I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Then his father hit him. And he hit him hard. Not with a fist, but with a great big bear hug. And started kissing on him. As the tears poured out of this boy's eyes, he could not believe what he heard next. Dad yelling to his servants, Hey, get the good robe. Get some shoes for him. Put a ring on his hand. He killed a fatted calf. We're going to have a feast tonight. Thus we have the five signs of the Father's welcome. The kiss was a sign of forgiveness. The robe was a sign of honor. The ring was a sign of authority. The sandals was a sign of freedom. Only slaves went barefoot. The feast was a sign of a joyful welcome home. What a blessing. I'll back up just a little bit. And I want to notice the Father's perspective. 
In verse 20, the Bible says, But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, and he had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. I love the way that verse starts. But. I love the buts of the Bible. You ever want to do a great study? That's a great study. Uh, For instance, the book of Romans begins with how horrible we are. That's basically what it says, how horrible we are. It just talks about our depravity and, and it talks about how we're uh, our, our guilt and our sinful state. And then in verse, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here the Father has compassion. And the Bible says that He ran. God, the ultimate Father, is always e- swift and eager to save. Isaiah 65, 24, And it came to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. Hallelujah, that he ran. There he goes, down from his watchtower, in through the yard, down the road, his arms outstretched, his garments flapping all around him, undignified. But can I tell you, friend, forgiveness is never undignified. Amen. I'm grateful for it. I'm glad that it says in Psalm 86.5, For Thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive. As he rushes toward this bedraggled figure, he can't help but notice the change. He is thin. He's grubby. He's dirty. He looks like he needs to be sprayed, dipped, and warmed. He needs a haircut. He's filthy. But there's more than that. Gone in this young man he knew as his son. Gone is the young man full of spit and vinegar. No more are his eyes bright and filled with dreams. The far country has done to him what the far country always does to anybody who goes there. The far country destroys. Sin will take a young life full of promise and chew you up and spit out a worn out bitter shell. Sin will take the gifts that God gave you for you to use for Him. And it will use those gifts and then ruin you in the process. Sin is not satisfied with breaking the relationship with your father. Sin wants to utterly destroy you. 1 Peter 5.8 That's why the Bible says to be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. That word devour is katipno, to, to swallow up, to destroy. He's not content to hurt you. He wants to crush you like he did this prodigal son. The father sees all this in the split of a moment. Yet he runs up to his son. As he comes within hearing distance, he, the, the kid's trying to say something. He starts to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee. He falls on his shoulder and kissed him. The text would say, would, would suggest here that he kissed him fervently and with passion. Father, I've sinned against heaven. That's as far as the father let him get. A robe, he said. The best robe. Bring the robe, bring a ring for his hand, shoes for his feet. He was received not as a servant, but as a son. Can I tell you today, friend, there is not one reason in the world this father should have forgiven him. He didn't deserve forgiveness. In fact, the kid knew he didn't deserve forgiveness. He didn't expect forgiveness. But dear friend, you and I are that younger son. This is the story of the ruin and redemption of poor, wayward sinners of the prodigal human race. How many times have we turned our back on God's will for our life? How many times have we proverbially shook our fist in God's face and said, no, we want to do it our way. I wish you were dead so I could live life the way I want to live it. 
It's my life and I want to be Lord of it. And when we do that, well, we know what happens next. First, uh, little things go. We quit being faithful to church. We don't open our Bibles as much. We don't pray. God's not even a part of our lives anymore. He seems too far away. Then our self-serving plans, our money, our relationships all begin to crumble and finally our hearts are left hard and bitter. We don't like to even admit this to ourselves or to others, but we create a mess when we're left to our own devices. Proverbs 1.31, Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices, for the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. Yet, how much does God love you? How much does the perfect Father on this Father's Day love you? He loves you enough to let you go. He loves you enough to let you hit bottom. And He loves you enough to let you come back. And He loves you enough so much that He'll run out to meet you when you do. That's how much God loves you. Come back from the far country. By the way, where is the far country? The far country is anywhere you are outside the will of God. That's it. For, for some, it may be like it was this, for this son. Uh, sexual sin, wild partying, wild living. But for most of us, it's a little more ambiguous. The far country is that place you got to by making decisions based on your own flesh. The far country is a place where you wake up and realize that you've wandered far away from God. The far country is any place where your life seems empty and you ask, is that all there is? The far country is a place of confusion, a lack of purpose, wasted potential, and all the while the Father says, come home. Are you hungry? Come home. Are you thirsty? Come home. Are you tired of living the life you're living? Come home. Have you wandered far away from God? Come home. The first step is the hardest. Can I tell you that again? The first step is the hardest. When you take the first step, you're halfway there. You're started on your way home. Oh, let me encourage your friend today, if you are uh, away from God, we're not where you're supposed to be. Can I remind you, we serve a prodigal father. We serve a Lord that's ready to forgive you. We serve a father that loves you more than you can imagine. Prodigal living is no way to live. So come home to a prodigal father. Though we do not deserve forgiveness, he gives it freely, all because of His wonderful grace. There's a boy named John lived through a troubled childhood. His mother passed away when he was only six years old. And so John became, became rebellious, spent years fighting against authority. He even deserted the Navy in his 20s. He went out to sea, when he, and when he was abandoned by his crew, in West Africa, he was forced to be a servant for a while on a slave ship. Upon his rescue and return, John went that route, and he became the master of his own slave ship. He did this for several years. He would bring slaves from Africa to England, and he would treat them worse than animals. In John's own words, and I quote, with our ships, the great object is to be full. The slaves lie in two rows, one above the other, on each side of the ship, close to each other, like books upon a shelf. I've known them to be so close that the shelf would not easily contain one more. These poor creatures cramped for the want of room are likewise in irons for the most part 
both hands and feet, which makes it difficult for them to turn or move, either to rise or to lie down without hurting themselves or each other. The heat and smell of these rooms are unbearable. As the slaves breathe a hot and corrupted air, it often becomes fatal. After becoming ill, John left his life as a trade slave trader. He quit the sea, got out of this business altogether. He did so because he came home from the far country. He came home from the horrors of the slave trade. He was saved. He was born again. He became a child of God. And then he came home. He served God for the rest of his days. Faithfully so. John Newton wrote a song, and you know it well. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, we've already come. T'was grace that brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead you home. Aren't you glad, friend, that we serve a prodigal? Aren't you glad we serve a God who forgives? and who does so abundantly and eagerly. Today is Father's Day, and I thank God that we have a prodigal father. I want to model my life after this prodigal father, and I want to be a prodigal father. If you're a dad in here, I hope you want the same thing. But each and every one of us can be grateful for the prodigal father. Amen? Every head bowed, every eye closed, if you would, please. The pianos come forward. I want to ask you just a couple of questions here, friend. Here today, you might not even be a child of this prodigal father. If you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, you don't know that you know that you're on your way to heaven. Would you slip up your hand let me pray for you? Nobody's looking around. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to point you out. I'd just like to pray for you. Is that you, friend, today? I don't have this prodigal father. All right, what about you, dear Christian? When's the last time you thanked God for being a prodigal father? Maybe you're here today and you need to come home. You're not maybe in the far country of, of all the different uh, awful things the son was doing, but you know you're not where you need to be. If that's you today, would you respond as she begins to play? Would you stand along with me, heads bowed, eyes closed?